Lord, we thank you for Billy and the message that he's about to preach. Would you just bless him? Holy Spirit, would you come and bring your words powerfully through him? In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lynette. Alrighty, good morning, everybody. You get to hear my uh, sultry R&B voice today, maybe. See how we go. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. Uh, good morning online, if you're watching, all of Buenos dias. Uh, welcome to the Greenmont Vineyard. Really hope that um, we encounter the closeness of God today. We're a church that just really wants to be a place where God's presence is welcome. Um, in us, corporately, where people can experience God wherever they are in their life, whether they're you know, flying high in their faith, whether they're renovating their faith, whether they're struggling. We want to be a place of peace. A place where people can really just draw near to God. If you're joining us for the first time, we're kind of in, in a series on Genesis. We'll be doing that over the next few weeks. And we've, just been, we've been looking at the main themes of Genesis, looking at parts and characters, looking at the, the major themes that help us to understand what's going on in that book. Helps us to understand it in a sense so that when you go home and read it, you can get more out of it. You can see what God was trying to teach us through the writers at that time and how that has moved on and how that is pointing to God's main mission of redeeming the world and the people in it. I really encourage you to follow along with us. There's a, there's a um, podcast that the Bible Project does that is kind of following along what we're doing each week in our messages. Uh, you can find that, not this past Friday, because nothing much changed, so I didn't send out an email this week. But your email from about 8, 10 days ago has a link to that. I might throw up a QR code next week, because I know people forget to go look for that. If you don't have that email, it's probably in your spam. Go have a look in there, or you haven't scanned the QR code and signed up to, uh, to doing the, uh, the, the email. So either way, it'll get to you. Speak to a friend. The link is there. We can make it. Because just listening to that podcast is going to really help you to get way more out of this series. Because like, what I'm going to say today is like scratching on maybe 20% of what they talk about in that stuff. It's all really good if you're nerdy and into that kind of stuff. There's stuff there for you. If you just like to learn things about God and how He orchestrates things to draw you near to Himself, you're going to get stuff out of that as well. So last week we were looking at the beginning, creation. Holy Spirit's work in creation, this whole notion of um, the word that they used for Holy Spirit in Old Testament, Ruach, where it's like God is wind, God is transforming energy in person, and just how the Spirit comes over the chaos and brings life, animates the word that God speaks into life. And we just looked at how it was all good and all that stuff was going on. And so we examined the breath of God, how the breath of God was shared with animals and human beings, and how human beings were made a little bit differently. Human beings were made in the image of God. You saw that in the video. The, the breath of God, as given to human beings, was the same as the animals, but we were giving this image thing. We were given authority to rule over creation, to bring God's goodness into it. And so we were, we were supposed to be like God to all creation and to continue God's life-creating work in this space, on this rock called Earth. And so this week, we're going to really dig into what that looks like when that goes wrong. 
when human beings choose to say no to that calling. So why don't you pray with me as we get into Genesis chapter 6, 8, and 9. Father in heaven, we just pray that you be with us. We pray that your healing would be in this room. You make my voice last today. We pray for Danny who's watching online that you heal his foot really, really quickly. And we pray for anybody else with need in this room and watching online. Lord, would you meet us? Would you heal us? And if you're going to heal us slowly, Lord, would you strengthen us for that journey to learn everything that you have for us in it. But God, we ask you either way to move, to do good things, to be in this room. Help us to let you in to every area of our lives. Jesus, in your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. And if you have a Bible, you can open up to Genesis chapter 6. It's also going to be on the screen. I'm going to read a bit from there, a bit from uh, chapter 8, and then a bit from chapter 9. And it goes like this. When human beings began to increase on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them that they chose. There's this notion in there of like they took, they saw it was good and they took it. It's supposed to be a hyperlink back to Adam and Eve seeing the fruit of good and evil was good and they took it. They took a decision upon themselves to take rather than to receive whatever God wanted to give them. And so they took and married any of them that they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal, corrupt. Their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards. The Nephilim are these sons and daughters born of that union. When the sons of gods went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, and they were the heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made the human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. And so the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. And with them, the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And so what happens is God approaches Noah. He says, look, I'm going to bring a flood. I'm going to wash this place clean. And, you know, I, w I want to spare you. I want to spare you and your family. And I want to spare some animals. And I want to start over. And so he tells Noah to build an ark. Go build this boat, this massive boat of wood, and I'm gonna I'm gonna keep you safe in it. And so that's what happens. The the uh, the rain comes, the springs of the earth, the Bible says, are opened up. There's this notion that God brings water from above, he brings water from below, and floods over the earth, at least the section of the earth we know the humans are at. And so there's this the Bible just doesn't tell us about the science of this, by the way. It just tells us God did it. And it doesn't tell us how. It doesn't tell us, you know, any of the details that us in our modern Western scientific minds are desperate to know. It just happens, right? And then we pick it up in chapter 8. It says this in verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind. It's this notion we spoke about last week about Ruach the wind of God, and he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters 
receded. Let's jump over to chapter 9 now, starting at the first verse again. And it says this, after they get off the boat and all that kind of stuff, it goes, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. It's right back at the start again, in the garden, right? Hope you're seeing all these links. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground and on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that loves and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, now I give you everything. That's really interesting. We'll touch on that in a little bit. So there's a bunch of stuff that you can take. There's a bunch of themes going on over here, but this is what I want to dig in today. And the first point is this, the spiral downwards. The spiral downwards of the human race into violence. And so what happens is that human beings, you know, they leave the God and they start increasing on the earth, right? They're multiplying. So they've, they've ticked that box. They're saying yes to that calling. But what happens is it wasn't happening as it should have happened. First, the, you know, Cain kills Abel. Then he goes off and he finds a really evil city. Then just a few generations later, his descendant, a guy called Lamech, begins to be even more violent. He says, if God protected Cain from his, his killing, how much more should he protect me? And then Lamech is the first person that's introduced in the Bible who takes multiple wives, who starts consuming and taking what is good for himself. And so we have this thing going on. And then into this story is introduced this notion, the sons of God, the sons of Elohim, these spiritual beings. You can find a video on the Bible Project about spiritual beings. There's a whole series on it. I went down that rabbit trail this week planning for this. I wanted to play all these videos. And I was like, I could only pick one. So we got the image of God. Right? So, so the, the sons of Elohim, these spiritual beings, somehow at that time could connect and relate to human beings. This is weird, y'all. If you feel it's weird, feeling uncomfortable, enjoy the discomfort. The Bible does that to you more than once on this journey. Right? So, so these fallen beings somehow can marry women and they have kids with them. And, you know, there's lots of theories as to why they were doing this. Maybe it was these, these uh, spiritual beings who we assume were with the accuser, with the Satan, and they were somehow trying to bring their eternity back into human beings. We don't know what they were trying to do, but they were doing this thing. And so they unite with human beings, but they just bring corrupt offspring. They're just bringing this violence and making it worse and worse upon the earth. And so they produce these violent offspring called the Nephilim, the heroes of old. Now this is where the Bible gets really interesting. It is connecting to all the history and all the documents of the, the people around the Israelites at that time. Because if you go look at ancient literature, all you history geeks out there, looking at people on that side, is that if you look at ancient history, a lot of all the old kingdoms claimed that their kings were these people. They claimed that the kings of the old were like related to and descended from gods. You see it in our stories like Thor from Marvel. These are the ones that have survived into modern day storytelling. Um, if you like to read, you know, Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief. These are the stories that have made it through Western culture. These were the heroes of old who became the kings. And this is how people justified their rules in that. 
And so these stories were often seen as positives in all the culture around them. But when you look at the Hebrew Bible, it's the opposite. The Hebrew Bible says, no, 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 that's all bad. That should never have happened. That was absolute corruption. These people only brought evil and violence to the earth, and it, it displeased Yahweh. It displeased the Lord. There's a whole rabbit trail you can go down on that. We're not doing that today. But I figured I'd throw that in just for interest's sake. And so God sees this. He sees the spiraling down of the human race just into corruption, evil, and violence, where people are only doing evil to each other. There are no good people left except for one dude. And so God sees this, and it breaks his heart. It grieves him. He regrets putting his breath into creation because his breath is now being used to bring violence. So just hold that in your mind for a bit when you think about how God must be feeling. Imagine that, that kind of thing happening. And so he looks at human beings and he puts a limit on them. And the limit he puts on is this 120 years thing. Now there's two theories. You might have only heard one in your Christian existence. The one theory is that it's the age limit that human beings are going to live. Nobody's going to make it past 120 years. The other theory is that he makes this decision 120 years before the flood. And all the old rabbis and ancient Hebrews tended to lean towards that one. There's another rabbit trail you can go down when you're home. Either way, there's this limit. God's putting an end to something. Okay? He's trying to limit the corruption on the earth. And so we have this picture of irony. Right? God has put his breath, his good breath, into humans and to animals to make them agents of good upon the earth. To fill the earth with God's glory. This is the point. Take a breath in. That's why you have that breath. Breathe it out. You're breathing it out because you're supposed to be an agent of God's glory upon the earth. It's shared air that God has given you. This is what he gave our descendants all that time ago. And yet, the people of that day, and even the people of today as well, were using that breath to exercise evil on others. Now just imagine you're God, and you've given your very breath to creation, and all you see is the opposite to why you gave. And so it's this notion of like, God sees this evil, and it's grieving him. It's kind of like, I guess, what people who've invented modern medicines must feel like. People who've invented things like morphine where it's invented, it's supposed to be a drug that brings pain relief to people in great suffering, and in the right hands of a good doctor who cares for their patients, and is used that way to alleviate pain, and they keep an eye on their, their patients, make sure that they don't get addicted, and so that they don't fall into the spiral of addiction. But in the hands of corrupt people, that doesn't happen, does it? That's why we have an epidemic of opioid addiction in America. You know, not just out in the streets in rough areas, but in, in so-called nice neighborhoods. There are loads and loads of people addicted to opioids, and then you have drug dealers who come into this equation who encourage that addiction. And that addiction begins to what? Destroy families and destroy lives. A good, what is supposed to be good is used to bring destruction. And those who have invented those medicines and developed me those medicines, it must break their hearts to see that. Right? And it's just, that's, a, that's a small picture of what God must have been going through at this time. This is what humanity was doing and is doing at times with the good breath of God in them. And so grieve God to the point 
where he decides to start over. God's grief results in the withdrawing of his ruach from the earth. God is taking his breath back. And so a lot of people read the story of flood go, oh, like this God's a mean dude. He's like, well, is he? Or is he just taking back what's his? It's like you give your kid a toy, those of you who are parents, and you see your kid running around with a really good toy and they're having the best time, but they're whacking other kids with it. What do you do with that toy? Most good parents take that toy back. You're like, your time is done. No more toy for you. What does that child do? Oh, you're such a bad dad. Oh, took my toy away. No, I'm not a bad dad. You're just being a bad kid right now. And you need to stop your shenanigans. And you're not getting this toy back because there's a whole bunch of other kids crying because you whacked them up about the head with it, right? And so in a sense, this is a, a greater way of God withdrawing the toy, I guess. And so God is going to withdraw his breath. He's going to decreate. He's going to return the earth to chaotic waters. Right? Just imagine it. You're on the boat with Noah and you look up. What do you see? You see rough water. What does that symbolize? It symbolizes the time before God spoke. God returns it all back to the beginning. But before he does that, he approaches Noah, tells him what he's going to do, tells him to build the boat, and in a sense says to him, I'm going to start it all over again. I'm going to take it back to the beginning with this flood because of the outcry of the blood on the ground, because of the blood of the innocent that's crying out to me, I'm going to start it over. Essentially, God is going to wash the earth clean. I'm going to embarrass one of my kids right now. One of my kids, at one point they were little, was playing with one of their cousins. This is way back in Scotland. And uh, they turned around to their cousin and said, if you do bad things, God's going to wash you away. And said cousin was deeply upset. I think it's because they had a guilty conscience. Right? And they got really upset and ran crying off to my in-laws and said, but tell them it's not true. Tell them it's true. Father, God's not going to wash me away. I was like, little evangelist kid over there giving destruction whilst I don't get there. But essentially, this is what God does. God washes all of it away. He wants to wash the corruption away, wash the earth clean once more. But he saves somebody. And he saves somebody because Noah is good, because Noah walks with God. He spends time with God. He is willing to submit to God. And Noah's name, ironically, means rest. It's a great name. It's a great name. And Noah was the only one worth recruiting to the starting over project again. And so God tells Noah to make a little Eden. To make a garden boat. I love that description. I stole that from the Bible project. You know? And so Noah builds this little garden boat and all the animals come on and they hang out there for a while in this smelly mess. I imagine that's probably why they had the windows up high. And they live there at a time in peace with the animals. And so the waters of chaos are once again released upon the earth and everything is cleansed. But as God withdraws, there comes a time for him to enter back into the place. There is hope. And God resurrects a remnant, if you like. God is in the business of resurrecting. Taking things that are dead, 
that need new life and bringing new life to the beginning. And this is what he's doing through Noah, his family, and the ark. And so life is brought back to the earth again once more through the innocent one traveling on a wooden vessel. What does that remind you of? Life is brought to the earth through the innocent one traveling on a wooden vessel. I'll let you join the dots together. And so God needs one person to surrender to him. Just one person to surrender. And in doing that, he'll bring something new, he'll bring new life to the earth once again. And so God starts over. He establishes and blesses the humans and calls them to fill the earth. The wind blows, the ruach blows over the chaotic wind, dries up the earth, and they're able to get off the ark. But as they get off the ark, you can tell there's something different about this. Instead of them, I don't know, cuddling lions and lambs, God says all the animals are going to be terrified of you. And you can eat them. So you're not vegetarians anymore. I'm bittersweet about this. I know that we have some vegetarians in the, in the crowd right now, but I'm kind of more of a, I don't know, carnival. I like eating animals, so, you know, when Jesus comes back and changes everything, I just hope there's some, like, I don't know, zucchinis that taste like steak. That's what I'm holding out for, you know, because I'm one of those. Right? But anyway, so there's something different between the relationship with humanity and animals in this place. We don't know exactly what it is. It's a mysterious new beginning. And so they begin to do that. They go off, they begin to multiply, they begin to spread out the earth again. And you as the reader will probably, if you read this passage, just go like, oh, I hope Noah and his kids get it right this time. Like, I hope they have just like, you know, a couple of thousand years of just, you know, being chill, you know. I don't know, planting some apple trees and stuff and just cruising and being good. But it's not long. It's not long that we see things going pear-shaped, if you like. I wonder if that first fruit today was pears. That would be great because it goes well with that saying. It's not long till disaster strikes. I didn't read that story again, but what happens is Noah goes, he cultivates the earth, builds a vineyard. Why? Because he likes wine. He drinks some wine, he has hammer drunk, passes out in his tent, and when you read the Bible, you go like, and his son gazed upon his nakedness. And then he got really upset with him and cursed his, cursed his grandson. And you're like, wow, no, that's a bit hectic. But in the Hebrew, that gazed upon is actually an idiom for something more serious. Something went down in the tent. Normally, that idiom in ancient Hebrew would mean when somebody slept with someone else's wife. Or when somebody violated someone sexually. So we don't know what Noah's son did in the tent, but it was a little bit more than just checking out some naked people. Right? So that's kind of what it's alluding to. Can't prove it, but the idiom is there. That's what it existed for. So something went down in the tent. They had hardly been off the boat. And then human beings are sinning against and cursing each other once again. And this is the theme that will recur time and time again as you make your way through Scripture. All the time, God is calling humans into new things. Start something new. Do something new. He blesses them. Go forward. And then not long after it, even though they might start out well enough, just think about the Israelites leaving Egypt. God delivers them from the Egyptians. They walk through a large body of water and dry land. They're seeing amazing stuff. Like two weeks later, they're building a cow out of gold. Right? Dumb. Dumb people. Right? 
just doing stupid, stupid stuff. And then just continually start well and then just keep crashing and falling. Even King David, he's doing this amazing thing. He's like, God's like, this is my dude. I love this guy. Then he's on his roof one day and he spots some beautiful woman having a bath. He's like, who is that? Oh, that's Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. Oh, Uriah's a good dude, but he's not right right now. We should invite Bathsheba out for a cup of tea. Or something. Right? He crashes and burns. Just all of these heroes, all the time, starting well, but then falling. And it tees you and I as the reader up to ask this question. Is there a hero worthy enough to change the narrative? Is there a hero worthy enough to change the narrative, to change the story, to set humanity, to set people back on the correct course, to help people use the breath of God for the glory of God? It's supposed to provoke that hunger and yearning inside of you for someone to redeem this story of brokenness. And, spoiler alert, if you head towards the end of the book, in Revelation chapter 5, there's this image of heaven. John the Apostle is having this vision. Either he's having a vision in his mind, or he's been somehow transported into the heavenly realm. And he sees this picture. And it says this in Revelation 5, verse 1. You're just going to have to listen to it. It's not going to be on the screen. It goes this. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one, no one on heaven, in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. And I wept, and I wept, because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll and look inside. Just imagine that. There you are in the heaven. There's a scroll of important stuff, refixing everything. And there's nobody worthy to open it. This is the story. This is the story of the Bible. From Adam to, to Noah to Abraham, and we'll go through all of that stuff, to David, all the way up. Who is worthy? And John is weeping. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. This lion has come and defeated death and sin. All that kind of stuff. He is able to open the scroll and, and the seven seals. So you have this picture. You, you, you're going to have a picture of Aslan the lion is going to come storming into the throne room and rip these seals apart. This is what you think is going to happen. But what does John see? He sees this instead. He says, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. He saw a lamb that had been slaughtered standing in the center of the throne encircling, encircled by the four living elders. And if you are not dead inside, spiritually, your heart should just burn a little. There should be some sort of little skip to the beat in there. And if not, say, God, will you make my heart skip a beat? 
should be burning because you should be asking, is there somebody worthy enough to open the scroll? The scroll of heaven, but not only that, the scroll, the story of your heart. Your narrative, your brokenness, your doubt, your lostness, your personal selfishness, your personal evil. Is there somebody worthy enough to unlock that and bring new life into not just the world, but me? You know, when I was reading this and preparing the sermon, I was just reading about the lamb. The lamb is worthy to open the scroll. Spoiler alert, the lamb opens the scroll, right? Okay? And I'm just like, I was like, yes, please. My heart's burning. Will somebody open me? Jesus, come and open the scroll of my own heart. Come and redeem even this. Even this. This is the story of the Old Testament, starting in Genesis, about creation crying out for somebody worthy to come and unlock redemption, to bring new life. And obviously the spoiler is, you know, is that there is one who is worthy, and that is Jesus, the Lamb who was slain, the Lion of Judah, the victory of God. Eternal life, redemption, is found in Him alone. And so Genesis is beginning the story of pointing us to the need of that person. And so today, as we move into ministry time, let's reflect on that. Let's reflect on Jesus as the Adam who was supposed to be, the Noah who was supposed to be, and as we get into next week and the week after, the Abraham who was supposed to be. And those of you who are preaching in the next few weeks, you can steal this. The Isaac who was supposed to be, the Jacob who was supposed to be, and so on, and so on, and so on. Why don't you stand with me and let's welcome God's presence. If you're a guest with us today, or you've just tuned in online, we just end each 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 service with a time of just welcoming God to do what God wants to do. We call it ministry time. And so, Holy Spirit, we know that you, we know that you're present here, doing the will of Jesus and the Father. So, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come and work in each one of us? Come and unlock us. Break the seals in our hearts that are holding you up. Come in Jesus' name we pray. James Clay, you can come on down. And so just in this moment of silence, I encourage you just to reflect on your own heart. Just humbly think about those things about you that you know. If you were the person getting off the boat, 
What are the things that are going to make you stumble? What are the things that are going to make you misuse the breath of God in you? This isn't a moment of guilt. It's a moment of redemption. And just quietly in your own prayer, mention those things to the Lord right now. And say, Lord, would you be kind enough because God wants to be kind to you. Would you kind be kind enough to redeem those areas of my breath? of my corruption. What is your poison? What is the thing that derails you or causes you to bring pain to others? And let God begin to change that now. He might do it in an instant if you're really, really blessed today. Or he might do what he does most of the time. Spend a couple of years in you. Maybe a couple of decades. Just slowly transforming that thing. Just do that now. If you're in the room and you feel like the Lord has a word for you to share with the congregation, now's the time to start making your way down. Lynette's over there. If you're not sure if it's from the Lord, she can help you out and just discern a little bit. So just catch her and come down. Let's just wait another minute before we just close with our final worship song. Thank you. 
you're meeting with God, if you're in that holy place right now, I just urge you to stay exactly where you are. You are right where you need to be. We're going to keep playing up here for a minute. If you've done the business with the Lord that you need to this morning, you're welcome to on out. I won't keep you here, but we're going to keep playing here for a bit. I just want to stay in this moment. <laughs> 